what's your purpose in life? Your goal, your raison d'etre. The founders of our nation sensed what most people want, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which only raises the question, what is it that's going to make you so happy that you want to pursue it as life's goal? For many, it's greenbacks, los dineros, das Geld. For others, it's relationships, to be loved and to love. And for still others, the purpose of life is simply to have fun, get those adrenal glands pumping and those pheromones jumping. But that's not the ultimate purpose of life, at least not from God's perspective. The number one purpose, the ultimate purpose for life, the reason God gives us life, whether a few days or many decades, the reason he gives us money, whether a little or a lot, the reason he gives us health, whether in top shape or failing, the reason for all of it, the purpose for life is, is to be near God. To have a connection with God. Once you have that, you can deal with all the rest that life has to offer. But here's the sticky wicket. How is it possible to approach God and do so with confidence? The second lesson today from the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 4 offers us the answer. With an examination of these words, we find the encouragement. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Only one guy could do it. Only one. Only one God guy could step inside of the most holy place, the inner room at the back end of Israel's portable worship facility and later on the temple in Jerusalem. Only one could go in there. Why? Simple. Sinners cannot stand before the presence of the holy God. And that inner room is where God often revealed his holy presence. In the middle of that little inner room in Israelites, the Israelite portable worship facility and later the temple, in the middle of that inner room was a gold box, 44 inches long, 28 inches wide and high. And on top of that gold box were two golden angels facing each other with wings spread out, overshadowing the cover. Inside of that gold box was a summary of God's demand on people. And God's demand for people is not, well, try your best, give it your best shot. Nope. God's demand is, because I am holy, I expect you to be holy. So this gold box with the golden angels on top and the demand for holiness symbolized God's holy and glorious presence. And no ordinary person 
could approach the holy presence of God because God's holiness repels sinners like opposite poles of a magnet. Only one guy could go in that inner room. And only once a year. And it couldn't be just anyone. Only the high priest could go in there, and only once a year. And although he was an ordinary human being, he didn't just saunter into that room in a tracksuit or in his jeans or jammies. No, when he went in once a year, he had to be dressed in very special clothes. A white turban, pure, like God, with a gold band on it that had holy to the Lord etched into it. A blue robe, the color of heaven, and trousers, which was not common for men in those days. They normally just wore robes, but trousers in case a gust of wind would leave him immodest or ashamed. And then an apron woven of four colored threads, gold for God, blue for heaven, purple for royalty, and red for blood. And a square patch on his chest, a square patch of cloth with 12 precious gems, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, so he would have the people on his heart. And two onyx stones on his shoulder with six names of each of the 12 tribes on each side as he bore the sins and the troubles of the people before God. So there stood the high priest. That is what you would have seen if you could have been there. What you would have not seen was Satan standing right next to the high priest, leaning into his ear and whispering, You're not good enough to approach God. You're weak. You're not pure enough for God. And actually, Satan was right. The high priest wasn't pure enough for God unless he would approach God with one more thing. Blood. If your blood is pumping inside of you, you are alive or living. But if your blood is being poured out or shed, then you are either dying or dead. You all know what the payment for sin is. You know the passage. The wages of sin is death, right. If the high priest went into that most holy place, into the presence of the holy God, with sins unpaid for, he would have to pay for it with his own death. You remember what happened to Uzzah. No, no, you don't, because you probably don't know who Uzzah is, I'll tell you. Uzzah is a very uh, minor character in the Bible account, and here's the story about Uzzah. He was the dude who was walking alongside the cart that was transporting that gold box from one location to another. And when the oxen stumbled, he had the gall to reach out and steady the gold box as if being near and touching God is no big deal. And God struck him dead right on the spot. So here's the high priest in all his regalia stepping into the first, the outer room of the temple. On his right, He's smelling fresh bread, 12 lobes representing the 12 tribes on a table to his right, wafting into his nostrils. 
and on his left a seven-pronged candlestick is glowing so that he can see his way through that first room and at the end of it see the little altar with the smoke of incense rising? Was he trying to steady his nervous hands as he was walking through that first room toward the thick curtain carrying a bowl of blood, hoping he wouldn't spill it? And as he approached that thick curtain, behind which was the most holy place, Satan was walking along with him as he's carrying that blood, whispering fear into one ear, then sliding on the other side and whispering pride. And finally that high priest with the bowl of blood and his special regalia makes it to that thick, thick curtain. And he starts to push a corner of it aside. And he shuffles a sandaled toe inside. And there is the gold box. There is God. And right behind him, Satan is still whispering, you dare not go in there. You're a sinner. You're not good enough to approach God. How dare you? And shouting out at God, burn him up, Lord. He deserves it. How can he, a mere mortal, approach you? And a sinner at that. And right then, the high priest looks at the bowl of blood in his hands cranks his head a bit and hollers at Satan, Zip it, devil! Hush! I've got blood, the blood of an animal sacrificed as a substitute, and I'm sprinkling it. I'm sprinkling it on the cover of that gold box, which is a picture of my sins being covered and all the sins of the people being covered and forgiven. I can approach God, and I can do it with confidence. The sad part about Israelite history is many of those high priests went through the motions of their job and their heart was not in it. And some of those high priests were just plain arrogant. After all, they were the high priest. Was Caiaphas the high priest during Jesus' death trial all that different from those others? Glaring at Jesus in disdain, accusing Jesus of blasphemy, trying to protect his own status. Satan had been whispering in Caiaphas' ears, and Caiaphas was buying into Satan's lies. Caiaphas considered himself to be a big shot in Israel. God looked at him as a little shot. How in all the world could the Israelite people approach God through their representative, the high priest, with a high priest like that? And how can we? Do you have an elaborate fire retardant outfit in your closet to cover your guilt and shame so you can stand before God without him burning you up? I don't either. And on top of that, if we try to approach God on, we're on our own, Satan will be right there whispering into our ears to do things we know are not right, things he's led us into before in our life. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead and do that naughty thing again, just like you did last week. No one's going to know. 
Ah, go ahead and poo-poo this business of studying the Bible with other Christians on a Sunday. You've already been to church and reading the Bible passages during the week and thinking about them during... Ah, what good is that going to do? Ah, go ahead and talk behind that person's back. She deserves it. Ah, go ahead. Hang on to your money. Don't be generous. Let other people fund the church's ministry. When Satan gets us to bite, the next thing he does is accuse before God. Burn them up, God! Blast them! Set them on fire, that's what they deserve. Send them to hell! They're sinners! They can't stand in your holy presence. They can't approach you. And then, and then, we're, and then we're stuck. We're stuck like a high priest in Israel about to step into the most holy place for the first time. Have you ever heard of a mud run? It's a distance and endurance race that includes mud puddles you have to slog through, hills you have to climb, ravines you have to jump over. To win, you have to pay an entrance fee and then complete the obstacle course, the mud run, better than anyone else. To approach God, the same two things are involved, but in reverse order. We have to run the obstacle course of life perfectly, and then we have to pay the entrance fee. I can't do the first one, and I can't afford the second. How about you? Which leaves us with the question, how can we approach God? Much less approach him with confidence. The amazing good news of the Bible is that God does not let that question hanging out in midair unanswered. He says, you want to approach me. That's why I sent my son, to make it all happen and be real for you. And he's not a leader to follow that's going to be standing up in a tower, hollering at you with a bullhorn, do this, do that, go here, go there, in order to slog through the obstacle course of life. No. He jumped into the mud run of our lives. Listen, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus jumped into the mud run of our lives, and he did that not to show us how to do it better if we just try harder. He did that to set a perfect record in completing the obstacle course so that his score, his perfect score, is counted as ours. And more than that, he paid the entrance fee. It's as though he walked through his entire obstacle course of life on our planet carrying a bowl of his own blood, which he poured out and sprinkled over your heart and mine, paying our access to God. And I hope right now you're thinking, oh, pastor, that sounds good. I can approach God right now and be near my God. What a Sunday it is. It's Valentine's, but it's also the first Sunday of Lent. We can conquer Satan and be with God. But what about tomorrow? Is it still going to be true tomorrow when I'm sitting at my desk and there's a pile stacked up and my supervisor or teacher is looking over my shoulder? Will it still be true at the end of the week when I got a cold and my head feels like it weighs 50 pounds? Will it still be true when my dear loved one gets cancer and is dying? How can Jesus' life and death that happened a continent away in a different culture, in a bygone era, be true for me every day? Listen, 
we have a great high priest. A great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Because Jesus is the Son of God. He doesn't just crack open access to God like a little door just barely open and on a timer to quickly slam shut. No. He's the Son of God who ascended into heaven, which means he's exercising his power always to guarantee that the invitation to sinners to come through heaven's open door is for all and for all time. So don't be afraid to pray to God for healing. He'll answer that prayer in his own way, at his own time, in his own best will, your best will for you. Don't be afraid to share Jesus' door-opening work with a friend, a relative, a neighbor. It's going to change the purpose of their life forever. Don't be afraid to announce with Job, who knew a little bit about the mud run of life. Don't be afraid to announce with Job, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I'll see him with my own eyes. I realize it's difficult for people who've spent their whole life pursuing as a life's goal money or love or fun, to shift gears and consider that a connection with God is the ultimate purpose of life. But the Bible writer adds two incentives. With the word mercy, he underscores our desperate need for access and approach to God. And with the word grace, he highlights and calls out that Jesus earned it for us and gives it to us undeserved. Pursuing happiness with all worldly goodies in mind is going to end up in disaster and disappointment. Far better, surpassing it all, is access and connection to God, now and forever. This Bible writer hit the nail on the head. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may find mercy and receive grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. And please stand.